Could your marriage survive infidelity? Your spouse has had an affair and you left wondering if divorce is the only answer. Today on the Resilience Diaries podcast, marriage coach Charity Craig shares her personal story of overcoming infidelity in her marriage and offering us an alternative perspective to divorce. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm really excited for our conversation today. I am too. I think this is such a phenomenal topic and one that might blow some people's minds away. In a moment, I'm going to let you share your story, but basically just to give some folks some context about you, you and I just met recently and you had shared your story with me and your whole message to to women is that they don't have to end their marriage just because there was infidelity. So before we get into it, I would really just love for you to take a moment and actually share your personal story with everyone, because I, I just think it's so phenomenal, the fact that you chose to stay when you could have left. Mm-hmm. And it's probably one of the most painful and hardest things you've ever done. Um, so talk about resilience, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah. I see I see you now and I see you guys together and it, it just, it blows my mind. So if you would just share your story with us. Yeah, of course. So we are currently about to celebrate our 20th anniversary. Uh, but it was 10 years ago that I started just kind of having suspicions that something wasn't right in our marriage. And I became a crazy wife, started stalking uh, him and his actions. And I uncovered the fact that he uh, was indeed having an affair. Uh, in, In my mind, I thought because we, we were, what I thought happily married. We had four young kids. Uh, he was my best friend. I, I really didn't ever dream that that's what would happen to us. So I thought that it would automatically, he, you know, would immediately apologize. I'm so sorry. End it. And, you know, we would just kind of, okay, we let's move on from that. And it didn't, um, it became, uh, it got ugly. There were, it was a long eight months of just spiraling in our marriage. Everything fell apart and it was such a shattering to myself. Like it shattered me. It shattered my world. It shattered our family. Uh, There was, it was just rubble left after we got through this, but it's so strange how through all of it, I just had this deep voice inside that just kind of kept saying, but maybe we can make it through this. Maybe this doesn't have to end things. And, you know, a a lot of it, I think early on was fear. You know, I was afraid to leave. I was afraid to be alone. I was afraid that my kids would not have a father at home. You know, there was so much fear that drove me in the beginning, but the more I began to um, do the work early on, I, I, decided to uh, focus on how I contributed to the breakdown of my marriage. People freak out when I say that because, you know, people immediately like, oh girl, don't take responsibility for his affair. And no, I don't take responsibility for my, his affair. That's on him. That's the choice he made. But I also know that it takes two to make a strong marriage. And so I, everything up to the moment he took the step out of our marriage, I knew there must've been something that had broken down for him, for that to make it easy for him to make that decision. And I wanted to know what it was, what had I done to contribute to that? And so I was shocked when I found out 
I thought it was going to be something pretty, you know, like maybe I didn't cook enough meals or I wasn't sexy enough for him or whatever. But the stuff I found out about myself was shocking. And it was such a bitter pill for me to swallow, uh, to find out that, you know, I was, even though I was the good girl, I was the good wife that tried to do everything right. There were so many underlining problems. I was deeply, I was very sick emotionally, mentally. We had a very, very toxic relationship, even though on the surface, it looked fine. And so it was through that, that I really went through my own personal transformation and me going through my personal transformation was contagious to the point where Matt went on his own personal journey. And so, um, we, it was a grueling healing process, but we sort of just ripped off the band-aids. We just really looked at the darkness of our hearts and saw the, the wounded parts of ourselves. And we begin to expose them, heal from them. And from that place, we, we have grown into such a deep loving and intimate and connected relationship that believe it or not, I, I think all the time that I don't know that we would have ever been able to get to this point. Had we not gone through that horrific experience in our life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. So just to recap, how long had you guys been married when you started feeling like there was things that were being suspicious? Yeah. It was around our ninth anniversary, nine years. So eight, nine in there is when it was happening. And you guys had four kids. Mm -hmm. I I don't personally have kids, nor am I married, but I do know (laughs) that kids can add a further element to, um, the situation right so mm-hmm. and then you had mentioned that once everything sort of came to the surface it took about eight months where there was just nothing just rubble you said what do you think it was that made you both come back together and say this is something we do want to work on I know you had mentioned you started doing work on yourself and and trying to do some self-discovery mm-hmm. which kudos to you my friend most people would not look at a situation where somebody else has done something to them and thought where did I go wrong here what could I, what could I have done better? And that's mm-hmm. what personal development is all about, right? You always are trying to mm-hmm. work on yourself and become a better version of you. Yeah. So that was probably more than one question, but the real question there is how did you guys decide to come back together and say, no, we do want to work on this. There is, there is a pathway through. Yeah. So for me, right out of the gate, like I was saying, a lot of it was rooted in fear. I was afraid to leave, afraid to be alone. I didn't want that. So what I ended up doing early on is I just sort of took a hard look at myself and my commitment. I knew Matt was breaking his commitment in the marriage, but I wanted to look at mine. I had to kind of do some soul searching in the way that said that I realized I'm making this commitment because that's who I am. And that's the decision I have made. And it doesn't matter if he has broken his commitment or not, I'm sticking to mine. And I kind of gave myself this window of time that I I sort of gave the, the, um, and, you know, I was never going to file for divorce. I was never going to walk away from this because I'm committing to my better or worse, sickness and health. Like I was committing to my commitment. And then I sort of gave myself this end, you know, finish line. If he ever filed for divorce and that was my release from my commitment, I could walk away knowing that I stuck to my end of the bargain. And so that's kind of what put me in that place of I'm just standing my ground. I'm not going to back down uh, just because he feels like he's found somebody else. And, you know, I didn't believe anything like a lot of, 
Um, people have a really hard time during this time because there's so many lies that come out. Um, it's just so much chaos and confusion. He's just a totally different person. He, you know, he thinks he's fallen in love with somebody else. Um, he, you know, he says all these things that don't make sense. Um, but so for some reason during that time, I just was like, I call BS on it. I don't believe what you're saying and what you're doing. You're, you're another person. Something has happened here. So you figure this out and I'm standing my ground and my commitment. And it wasn't easy. I was very angry that I was the one that had to stand my, you know, the commitment. I felt like I was, you know, getting the short end of the stick. It was a raw deal sort of thing, but I knew that's who I wanted to be through this. And so, um, so it was a lot of months of me trying to figure out how to, to navigate this, you know? So at first I was very needy and clingy and desperate and begging and crying and just, you know, just falling apart every time I was around him. And it finally took me uh, several months till I finally uh, got a new, enough resources and enough, enough awareness to realize I was literally pushing him away. I was making it very easy for him to make the decision to leave because I was confirming everything that he was believing in his mind that he had found, you know, the true love of his life. And so I backed off and I backed off for several months. And just, that's when I really was focusing on myself and strengthening myself and, and finding that, that validation and love within myself. It took him several months. And once I got out of the way, then he, he kind of didn't have that. I wasn't a barrier anymore. I wasn't you know, a thorn in his flesh. I stepped back and said, okay, well, if that's what you want, fine. I'm not going to do anything proactively. You've got to figure this out. And so it, me stepping back and kind of getting out of the picture allowed him enough time to kind of see what reality was really becoming. The, the fantasy fog of the affair was, it took time to evaporate, right? And he started to see the disaster that was left behind. He could see that he was giving up his family, his children for what? And so he, I think it gave him, he had enough time to see, hold on, I'm making the biggest mistake of my life. And so it, it was in that, that, um, you know, I think too many times that by the time the person wakes up and realizes it's too late, too many final decisions have been made. You know, the divorce has already been filed she's already moved out, found somebody else. You know what I mean? Like too much. So it just so happened that there had not been any final decisions made before we kind of both got to that place. And when I, when he got to that place, um, it was all on him to prove and do the work to restore that relationship. And he was ready. He was committed and he was going to do what he needed to do to restore that relationship. Definitely. <clears throat> which kudos mm -hmm. to Matt, right? Because that's mm -hmm. not easy either. Mm -mm, no. Now, my next question, Charity, is I know <clears throat> that you got a lot of pushback from folks that, that maybe just flat out told you, you are an idiot. You need to divorce mm -hmm. him. You need to leave him. You know, oh, once a cheater, yeah. always a cheater. And mm -hmm. here you are spreading a message of hope saying that's not always the only answer. And mm -hmm. In life, I know that there's not one way that fits for everyone. So if there's anyone mm -hmm. out there currently in a similar situation that is struggling with whether or not to leave, right? If you come, if you arrive at the decision that leaving is the best decision for you, fine. 
But if you are grappling with the decision that maybe leaving is not the answer, that maybe there is a, a path, a pathway through, I just appreciate that you are sharing that message against mm -hmm. the grain of what everyone, or what a lot of people have told you, you know, you, you, you're silly for doing this. Mm -hmm. You know, how does yeah. that make you feel? Um, it, you know, this has been 10 years of growth for me. So, you know, I've, even though I've been sharing my story for 10 years, it's taken 10 years for me really to get thick skin, to really be ready to go against the culture, be counterculture with this. Um, but one thing that I, you know, my, the deepest part of myself in what I want to share is, uh, really promoting to trust yourself in this. I think so much because you're, because you're shattered, nothing makes sense. We tend to turn to others for advice and people hate to see you in that much pain. And so well-meaning friends and family are going to tell you the only thing they know to do to escape the pain. And the only way to escape the pain is to get out. But you're not escaping the pain. All divorce does is create other added problems. You still are going to have to heal from this affair. You're still going to have to figure out. And if you have children, you're going to have to figure out how to live in peace with this man for the rest of your life. You will forever be tied to this person. And so I know, you know, and I know also that your love doesn't just evaporate because someone made a mistake. Someone chose a really poor decision. And so there's just so it's just, it's too nuanced. It's too gray for there just to be this cut and dry answer. And so, and, and, you know, and, and also, you know, humanity, we make terrible decisions all the time. We fought, we, we take the first step and then we slide down a slippery slope and it's not always just in affairs. There's so many other ways in our life that we find ourselves at the bottom of a pit that we brought on ourselves, right? And it affects other people. It, it damages your family. It hurts people, but this is part of the human, the human existence. And so if we're so quick to quickly destroy someone when they find themselves at the bottom of the pit, we are only destroying ourselves. Me, if I had chosen to destroy Matt for hurting me the way he did, I would not have just hurt him. I would have destroyed my children in the process. So walking away, there would have been six casualties from this affair. And so I just, I don't believe that there, that has to be the way there's, you know, divorce is very prominent in our society. It happens often and people are not any happier than when, when people were staying in marriages. And so it's, the divorce is not solving the issues. And so there's gotta be a deeper and, and more healing answer to these light, like there, there's humanity's problems, you know, infidelity has been around since humans crawled out of the cave, you know? And so we've, instead of just crucifying people for these decisions, I believe in really looking at the deeper issues, looking at the root, finding deep healing for both parties. Matt didn't do this. He, you know, I always say, you know, he walked in with a grenade, pulled the pin and dropped it. Nobody walks away from an explosion like that. So yes, it was it destroyed me, but it also destroyed him. It affected him as well. And so there was so much healing that had to happen. Um, and so I just kind of took a chance that we could restore and heal. And there was a point that I said, no, we're not even gonna go back to where we were. We have to make this better. And so I really believe that. <laughs>
That's amazing, Charity. One thing I wrote down here was you did a video on how to forgive. Mm -hmm. So I'd love for you to share with our listeners what you did on working on how to forgive him. And then uh, I want to talk about dispelling some divorce myths, if you will. (laughs) Yeah. So forgiveness is a really difficult thing for us to wrap our minds around. Um, You know, we always say we're letting them off the hook. Forgiveness feels like we're letting somebody off the hook. And, you know, people say, no, it's more about you. Forgiveness is for you. And that still doesn't make sense because there's still so much pain. And I don't, we don't know what to do with the pain. And so because we don't know what to do with the pain, forgiveness seems unthinkable because it feels like you're letting them go just live their life while I'm sitting here broken. And so forgiveness is a part of the healing process. So I don't believe that forgiveness is just a one and done sort of thing. Like, oh, yep, you're forgiven. It's all fine. Uh, there has to be the long process of, for, of healing. And with trauma and uh, deep wound, emotional wounds, uh, healing is a grieving process. So you go through all five or seven uh, steps of the grieving process. You will go through every single one. And so um, I do believe that forgiveness is part of that process. And and so the, the more you do the healing work and you get through those process, you know, when it's still so fresh and raw, forgiveness is almost not even something that you can comprehend at that point because the pain is so much. But if you, as you work through the process and you, and you get past the anger and, and the, the bargaining and all those, and you start getting to the point where you get through the depression and then you start in accepting this, that's when you can kind of wrap your mind around forgiveness. And forgiveness is the the way I've kind of become to think about it is when something happens in our life, no matter whether it's good or bad, we create an emotional attachment to it. So if you have a surprise birthday party, when you're seven years old, you created a very positive emotional attachment to that. And the way And so then anytime you think of your seven-year-old birthday, you just have like a good feeling, you smile, you feel good. So what happens is it's a memory that we have attached to it. And if you think of it, like when it's good, I think of like a little silk bow tied around your seventh birthday and it's attached to your heart. And anytime you have that memory, it's like a little hug to your heart and you feel good. You have this good memory. Anytime something happens that we deem negative, um, it the same sort of thing happens. We create an emotional attachment to it. And it's actually a part of self-preservation, right? We, we've, we've started to do this so that we tell ourselves that is bad. This thing happened and it hurt. You don't want that to happen to you again. So we create an emotional attachment and it's, I think of it more of like a wire around that person or that experience. And it comes back and we put like a fish hook in our heart and it hurts. When we think of that person, when we think of that experience, it hurts. It's every time we think of it, it's like a yank in our heart and it's telling us stay away. It's dangerous. That's painful. It will hurt you. But we know that, um, if we do the healing work, we have those open conversations, we begin to understand um, that we aren't victims in our life and that we can um, set boundaries. And we know as we get older, we know that, that, yeah, we might've been victimized, but that doesn't mean that 
it'll happen again, right? We begin to have this awareness. Um, forgiveness is is simply taking that emotional attachment and letting yourself off the hook with it. So anytime that that event happens and you think of that thing, um, instead of dwelling on it and going through the loops and you just continue to obsess over it, you choose. And it's one of those constant choices that you make. And you say, I'm going to choose to emotionally detach myself. I'm going to pull the fish hook out of my heart and let it go. And over, and, and this is a thing that you have to do over and over and over again. Every time you think of it, you make that conscious choice. I'm choosing to pull the fish hook out of my heart and detach that emotional attachment that I've had with that person or that experience. And over time, you suddenly you'll, you know, you'll run into them in the grocery store and that person doesn't piss you off anymore. You're okay to see them. You don't love them. Maybe you're not going to invite them to dinner, but you're not like raging inside because you've spent that time letting that hook off. And over time, the same goes for Matt. You know, now I can slip into bed with him and I don't feel anger or rage. I can think of the affair and have no emotion attached to it because for years over and over and over I've chosen to detach that emotion from it and in that process there has been a forgiveness there has been a releasing of that that now I'm not tied to it there is no no pain anywhere inside of me now that is resilience Cherry. wow <laughs> as you were yeah. chatting it reminded me of something you know that saying growth is not linear mm, yeah and uh, yeah. as I was chatting with you the quote I just came up with both growth and healing are not linear 100 percent, 100 percent. like it's a complete ebb and flow right mm -hmm. it's, yeah it's like this it's all over the <laughs> yeah and it's and it's yeah. a practice it's a mm -hmm. it's a continuous practice and I love that you use the word choose mm -hmm. that that word I choose has been instrumental in my own personal tra trauma healing. Um, so I think it's a very powerful word and a very mm -hmm. powerful emotion and, and state of being to put yourself in and say, I choose the outcome. I choose to feel differently about this. Very, mm -hmm. very powerful stuff. So thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. All right. Let's dispel some myths. Okay. Okay. Most, most people think that infidelity has to end the marriage. Mm -hmm. You say otherwise. Yes, for sure. Well, I think too, there's so much shame around infidelity. We don't know what to do with it. We don't know. We don't know why it happens and it's painful to think about it. Uh, so because we don't, when we don't know what to do with something culturally and humanity we tend to just shove it in the closet we put it in you know this closet that we don't talk about it but then you know it always re rears its ugly head and we don't and and so we don't know what to do with this and also because of our culture we don't have to stay married anymore we you know in our past uh, women you know were dependent on their husbands financially we are not dependent anymore women have their own careers um, there was, you know, a lot of re religious implications about divorce. You couldn't get divorced because of religion. Most religions are very accepting of divorce. Um, you know, there was social 
reasons and family reasons. And so there were so many other reasons that pressured men and women to stay together. And so people were forced in the past against their will really to stay in marriage. And now that um, that's not there, there's no barriers to stay in a marriage. Uh, now it really becomes a, a, a deep seated uh, commitment. It becomes an individual commitment within yourself. And the other caveat that I think has been very harmful for relationships is that we have put our entire uh, validation, our entire, um, everything that we need to feel fulfilled and happy, we are pinning on another person. Mm -hmm. So we are, we are asking this other person to fulfill us uh, mentally, socially, uh, sexually, emotionally, like we need this person to fulfill everything. And on my journey, I've discovered that that is actually not that person's job. They cannot fulfill you in any sort of way. And what happens over time is you realize that they're letting you down. I was letting Matt down. Matt was letting me down because it's so far above our pay ground grade. We were two empty vessels demanding each other to fulfill our needs. And when that's not there, the slippery slope can happen to anyone. I don't ever for a minute put myself above Matt and that I would never do that. It just so happened. He was the first one to take that step on the slippery slope. And so there's so many parts of uh, complexities in our relationships. And so to just, you know, and and the other thing too, is none of us really sit down and have a heart to heart conversation with our significant other that says, what is infidelity? Like, what would you say is crossing the line? Cause even now, you know, in generations past, there was no such thing as emotional affairs. You, it was accepted for you to have emotional attachments to the opposite sex in your, in your relationship. It's only been in the last couple decades that now we've put that pressure on the fact that you can't even have emotional attachments to other people. And so there's just so many of these nuances and we don't, we just, we kind of put a blanket statement, like if you do it, you're dead. Right. And so there's just so many of these things where it's just blind spots for us. So there's so many blind spots. And so we can, we can draw that hard line and say, it's black and white. It's, there's no, there's no sense of let's figure this out, but as we can see, it, it doesn't bring any more happiness. It's not bringing any more fulfillment by having such a judgmental hard line. So that's kind of how I don't believe that it has to end like that. Absolutely. I love that. Thank you. Mm -hmm. You had stated that after infidelity, your marriage can absolutely actually be stronger and happier. And most people typically would not believe that. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, because I think so many people, when they're trying to heal, when, when you are the victim of this pain, you don't know what to do with your pain. And so the only way person I know to dump it onto is my husband, because he's the in, in looking at this, he is the source of my pain. And so I only thing I know to do is just throw it back at him and constant. And I don't know. And he's on his side is, is doesn't know what to do with his shame. 
He has to look in your eyes and know I created this problem. I made this mistake. He has to look in his children's eyes and know what he did. And he get who is he going to give his shame to? He has no one to dump it onto. He has no one to blame to. But but so many times when when people get caught in their shame, the only way they know to do well then they start um, deflecting or they start blaming and they start because uh, they don't know what to do with it. Nobody really knows what to do with this pain. So over time, they begin to attack each other. They become each other's worst enemy. And they're just two wounded people that just don't know what to do with the pain. And if they both can step back and look at the, and look at the relationship from each other's perspective, begin to see each other, the other side. And, and so many times they're, we're waiting for the other person to make this, the change, the other person, well, he needs to do the work. He needs to do all the changing. Um, but it, it's a loop, right? It's a, it's a, it's a cycle of, of reactions. Somebody says something, somebody reacts, somebody does something, somebody reacts, and we don't ever really know where it starts. All it takes is one person to react in a different way. And when you react in a different way, they will automatically react in a different way. And so all it really takes is one person deciding that we're going to change this. And when we decide to change this, that person will change. And, and it really dispels this. And then what happens is then you, you find the courage to rip open the, the mask that you've been covered, you've been hiding behind and you find the courage to show your bleeding heart. You, you allow yourself to become vulnerable and, then all of a sudden he, you know, finds the courage to show you his bleeding heart. And now suddenly you're two bleeding people and you find compassion for each other. And you realize he's not the enemy and he realizes you're not the enemy. Instead, you become, you know, comrades in the healing journey. And, and through that just draws you together in such a deeper and more intimate way. You don't have to hide things anymore. Um, you, Cause I mean, you have to talk about this these things that hurt and he has to say things that you don't want to hear. And he hears things from you that he doesn't want to hear. And suddenly you begin to, to find the truth of each other. And then you look at each other and you say, yeah, I still love you through all this. And you, that's how you find that, that deeper intimacy in the healing. Wow. So it's almost like you create a space for one another to show up in that vulnerable way, but you have to hundred percent to do that. Mm-hmm. 100%. Most people would tell you that you could not overcome the pain from infidelity. Let's dispel that one. Yeah. Oh, that's a, that's definitely one. And it kind of goes back to not knowing what to do with the pain. Uh, I, you know, emotional healing is still very new, you know, it's only a new science that people have really been able to study the emotional trauma and healing and things like that. So previous generations didn't really know what to do with it. And, and so we've not been taught. Families have not taught us. Our parents probably haven't taught us how to heal, uh, how to repair relationships. And, and so uh, we just continue to have this, this pain. Um, but one thing I've began to think of it as is, is the emotional wounds that we experience are no different than our physical wounds. So, you know, Matt having the affair was like, you know, a stab to my heart. It'd be no, no different than if he had walked up and stabbed my arm. There would now be a gash bleeding on my arm. Yes, he's the one that victimized me. But now this is my wound. 
It is my responsibility to heal this, care for it. And, you know, I could, I could sit there and point my finger at him all day long and say, this is your fault. You see this, this is your fault. But me by pointing at this and blaming him for it, who's in pain. I'm just continuing to be in pain. And, and if you want you're not punishing anyone by living in continual pain except yourself. And so taking that and now just like your body will begin to heal, uh, it won't heal over time, especially if it's been a, a severe wound. It takes care. It takes um, awareness as to how to care for it, right? You need disinfectant. You got to clean out any dirt that's in there. You have to care for it, which is so painful. But we, we're, I think a lot of our culture, we, we run from pain, right? Everything is don't, you don't want pain. Pain is bad. Pain is bad. Pain is bad, right? We take medication, take pills, like whatever you have to do to avoid the pain. So we think this pain that we're going through is bad, but it's actually your body telling you there's something here that needs to heal. I'm healing this, like do the work. And so as you pull out, because if I left this, if I left this wound just to, to time will heal it. I ignore it. I don't want to talk to my husband about the affair. He doesn't want to talk to me. We just sweep it under the rug. We pretend like it's not there. We just put a bandaid on it. What happens? It starts in becoming infected. There's gangrene. Now all he has to do is walk in and say, um, hi. And you're in a, you know, and just him talking to you is like a finger. Right. And you just freak out. He's like, Whoa, like I just literally just walked in here. Why are you freaking out about just the side of him? Because I had not healed this wound caused me pain. And so because people are just unaware, I don't, we just, we don't know how to heal our wounds, honestly, but if we start thinking of it as like our, our body, there's no shame in it. There's no reason to avoid this. We really need to peel it back and, and do the healing work that is painful because just like our body will heal itself. So will our hearts. Mm -hmm. You just have to be willing to face that pain, do that work and it will heal and it will come. It will heal to the point where, yeah, there might be a little silver scar, but there'll be no pain. You can you know, touch it, talk about it, look at it. And, and there's no emotional pain. And so that's the same with your body, same with your emotions. I love that. I always say scars add character, right? They do. They do. What would you say to someone that feels like if there was infidelity, that they would have to live with constant fear or worry that it's going to happen again? And that's a very normal fear. hundred percent. You do have that fear. And the, the thing that you have to understand too, is there's no way of ever guaranteeing. There's no way because we can't control what another person does. So there is no guarantee that they, they won't ever do it again. But that also is true about your next husband and your next husband, you could get into 50 relationships and you cannot guarantee that any one of them would ever have not have an affair. And so I think part of that is the part of your healing journey is not only just healing from the affair, but is it's healing yourself in a way of, you know, people are always like, I can't ever trust him again. And I won't, you know, I can't ever know that he won't do it again. But instead of focusing on that, um, is turning that uh, inward and beginning to learn to trust yourself and learning to know that, I've made it through this. I made it through this affair. We worked through it. We talked about it. We've done the healing 
talks. We've, we've had marathon talks. We've shown our hearts, um, and we've made it through and yeah, there it's true. I can't guarantee that he will never do that again. I have no guarantees, but you know what I can guarantee? I'll make it through. You know who I can trust? I can trust myself. I can figure it out. I will know what to do. And so at some point, um, I caught myself getting into that spiral. Any, you know, I was any, you, you naturally do, right? A pretty woman, you know, is talking to your husband and you immediately like, what's she doing? What's she, you know, you immediately- <laughs> Who that? Who that? You become suspicious. And I was like, I don't want to live like that. I don't want to be a jealous wife the rest of my life. And so I can distinctly remember having that conversation with myself. And I had to tell myself if he ever makes that decision again, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But until then I'm taking my hands off and I'm trusting. And that's just kind of where you release that, release that. And then now I get back to work in trusting myself loving myself and, and, and knowing that I am capable of taking, uh, getting through anything, no matter what happens. Definitely love that. One of my favorite quotes is the work we do on ourselves is really never personal, right? Because the work we do on ourselves helps everyone around us as well. Oh, I like that. That's a good one. And, uh, it's one so the, true. It's so true. And one of the quotes I actually stole from your page that I loved and it kind of ties into it as well. Um, you had said healing from past trauma is the most painful and hardest work you'll ever do. It's also the best work you'll ever do. Yeah. That's yeah. beautiful. It is. It, it will. And it, it, cause not only does it set you free, uh, you'll, you'll set your parents free. Cause you know, so much of our trauma comes from our parents, but when you heal yourself, you, in a small way, heal your parents. Like you set them free too. And, and when you do your, your healing work and you are standing in your power and in love and, and you find this, this, you, it's contagious. Now your, your husband wants to be like that too. He wants to be standing in his power. He wants to be happy. And so he, he's curious. He wants to know what's going on and he has the courage to do that. And then when you set yourself free, you set your children free because now I'm a different parent. I parent my children completely different than how I did before. And now I am giving them the tools they need to go into their life. So yeah, you're not just healing yourself. This is, this is generational. You, you heal generations when you heal yourself. And there's another quote I love too, that kind of goes along with your quote. It, it, it says um, the greatest gift you can give the world is making the most of yourself. Mm -hmm. And that starts with the healing process is healing those parts of ourselves that say we're not enough. Absolutely. I just posted something the other day that said each and every single one of us has a reserve of untapped potential. Mm -hmm. And so what yeah. are we doing to proactively dig mm -hmm. and tap into it? Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't know how. And so that's why wow. I'm so grateful for folks like you out there, you know, sharing their messages of hope and love, <clears throat> sharing alternative options. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I'm here. I'm ready. <laughs> I love it. So for anyone who might be finding themselves, you know, in this situation and trying to navigate through it or would love to connect with you in somehow, some way, somehow, uh, what are your social media accounts? I know you had shared with me, you also have a, a free group that, that folks could, uh, join. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So I'm on all my accounts are charity L Craig. So Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Uh, but I also, and then my website is charitycraig.com. Uh, but I do have a support group for wives that are actively working to heal their marriage. So it's only for women, um, but it's healing your marriage after his affair. It's on Facebook. Um, you can get through it. Like if you go to my Instagram or wherever, you can always get the link through there. But yeah, I have that available for for that support with other women that are going against the narrative to heal their marriage. I love it. What's, what's one last thing you want to leave everyone with that you feel inspired to share? Uh, the one thing that I say is that the worst thing that can ever happen to you can also be the catalyst to change and become the best thing that ever happened to you because It'll send you on a new path of that will blow your mind beyond your wildest dreams. You would never believe that it would, could be possible. So don't despise this tragedy that might happen to you because from the ashes, you can rise up. Woo, love that. Love that. <laughs> Charity, thank you so much, my friend. Thank I you. Face. We'll definitely yes. have to do this again. Yes, absolutely. If we could see into each other's hearts and understand the unique challenges each of us face, I know we would treat one another much more gently, with more love, patience, tolerance, and care. In order to love who we are, we cannot hate the things that have shaped us. The best project you will ever work on is you. If we leave our growth to randomness, we will always live in the land of mediocrity. Here we embrace kindness, mindfulness, joy, empathy, vulnerability, adventure, and most importantly, the humanness that we each share. This is Chantal Russo, and you are listening to The Resilience Diaries.